0: Hey, I'm Eric Tornberg. Welcome to another episode of Maker Stories, where we explore what makes the makers, what drives them, what they're scared of, how they make sense of the world, and everything in between. This week's guest is Tracy Chow. Tracy's an engineer who earned her stripes both as a super early employee of Pinterest and Quora, and has really become one of the biggest and most respected voices as it relates to diversity in tech both in terms of gender and in terms of race. This podcast episode, we talk about her experiences being both a woman in tech and an Asian in tech. We talk about what that's meant for Tracy to become a public figure. We talk about how she evaluates who she spends her time with and why, having a social impact beyond tech and much more. Tracy's doing very important work on the front lines every day, making tech a more welcoming place for more people and she's become a friend and a sounding board anytime I have questions about how we can be more inclusive. Okay, here's Tracy. One thing I want to get into a little bit is you talked about in the AMA uh, one piece of advice you would give your 25 year old self about. You had this concept of like people that are ones, twos, and threes. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's tell pretty us controversial on Twitter. As it yeah. Turns out.
0: yeah, Okay, tell us uh, tell us what this framework is and how you came to it.
1: Yeah, so this framework actually I got from um, a coach who was helping me to work through how I was allocating my time and how I was feeling with uh, just like energy that I was expending towards personal, professional things. And what I was doing was anytime people asked for meetings or asked for favors, I wanted to help, so I would always say yes. But at some point... It's very easy to get burned out when you say yes to everything um whether it's taking a coffee meeting or helping someone with something like doing an intro for them whatever it is and so um my coach was saying think of all these different types of people in your life um the people who give you energy and they might be people who don't necessarily have something to give you they might not be be people who have a lot of influence or power or money or anything like that. But if they give you energy, there might be somebody that you're mentoring and they're really excited to learn from you. And so it gives you energy to be working with them. Like somebody who's super excited to be learning and growing. Um, feel free to spend time with and try to spend a lot more time with those people. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of the people who are very focused on what value they can extract from everybody right. else around them. Yeah. And those are ones, those, The ones are the good people, the ones who give you a lot of energy, and threes are the people who just kind of suck energy Mm -hmm. out of you, and those people you probably want to spend less time with, Mm -hmm. um, because whatever it is that they're doing, they're not being very considerate of how they're interacting with the other people around them, and you can spend less time with those people, and twos are kind of in the middle. Um, the point is that there are these ones, twos, and threes, there's not enough time in the world to yeah. spend with all the ones that you mm-hmm. want to be spending time with, so cut out the twos and threes. Yeah,
0: so do you have a big spreadsheet with ones? No, I'm just, uh, <laughs> uh, CRM, not that organized. That's, uh, that's not okay. that. So the, uh, why was this controversial on Twitter?
1: I think people, mis- people misunderstood what it meant, um, these different differentiations between ones and threes, and they were thinking that ones are just people who could give you value, um, so like they could give you connections or give you things, and that threes are people who are just trying to make it, and yeah. um, you know they're still finding their way in the world. So to cut them out was like you know not helping the world be a better yeah. place. Um, but that's not at all what the framework is meant to be. The framework is meant to be understanding your relationship with people and what gives you energy, as opposed to like what can you extract yeah. from the world around you.
0: Yeah, there are a few reasons I'm, I'm fascinated by you. One is because you have you're a pretty visible person like you uh, you know you're pretty active on Twitter you're fighting for causes you believe in um, you know you have a big following people are reaching out to you a lot I presume you had you know a pretty successful career and so uh, but all, with all that you seem remarkably well adjusted and seem to have uh, you don't seem to have a huge ego which like those things are typically <laughs> it's it seems people have a lot of difficulty once they have a lot of people reaching out to them, how to prioritize the people that are very Mm -hmm. important to them and they they often let it get to their head and get lost a little bit. So digging into that, how do you keep a balance between your personal life and your professional life? Do you think about it, separating those? Like, What are some things that you've learned to to keep yourself uh, healthy and have high energy but also uh, fight for the things that you believe in? Yeah, it's
1: been a constant... Adjustment. Uh, I used to think of all the diversity and tech work as personal things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would go to my job, my day job, do engineering, and then on the side after work or on weekends, I would do all the diversity right work. And that's and
0: writing posts, that's Writing speaking. posts, meeting
1: people. I just thought of all that as extracurricular, that was yeah. not my job. And at some point that started to blend in, like all the diversity work started blending in with Pinterest work. And I started to do more of that during work hours. So it might be you know, taking meetings with journalists or doing press and speaking events. And that started to become more real work as opposed to just like my side project. And so I've had to adjust how I think about these things. It used to be professional. It's just engineering and personal is diversity work Mm -hmm. and everything else. Um, so I've had to make that adjustment internally and it's a process of negotiating with myself and also like figuring out with my team at work, how much I can be doing on the diversity front. um, and I still do spend a lot of my free time, like on you know, after hours or on weekends, um, meeting with people that's not necessarily personal time. Yep. It is meeting with you know, startup founders who are curious about diversity efforts or other women in tech who are curious about what they can do. So it's all professional, but not quite my main job. Yep. Um, so there's a little bit of that balance. Um, to stay sane, I make sure to carve out time every day to work out just mm-hmm. have that time to myself yeah. where I'm not thinking about anything intellectual, mm-hmm. just working out. Um, and I try to spend a lot of time reading. So I get yeah. lots of different ideas. Um, and you read fiction. I read some fiction. Yeah. I read some nonfiction.
0: Mm-hmm. They're, they're, just on that point, there don't seem to be that many, feel free to push back, literary people in tech or people who are really deep in tech, but also read fiction. Is that false?
1: I think a lot of people read a lot. Mm-hmm. I do think it skews, at least in my personal samples, yeah. um, set it skews towards people reading nonfiction because mm-hmm. it will be things that... Related to work. Related to work or help them understand the economy or politics yeah. or things that are relevant as context for work.
0: Do you find it difficult to... Well, first, do you, is it important for you to have close friends that have nothing to do with your work?
1: In theory, yes. In practice, it can be difficult. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Um, but do you feel satiated by your the, combina- the You know, your best friends at, at work, I guess?
1: Um, yeah. yeah. I get a lot of emotional support from friends at work, but I also do have a lot of friends outside yeah. of work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have a few roommates I get to hang out with. Right. It's really nice to have that, and I can go home and hang out with my roommates. Yeah. Um, and yeah, other friends who are not necessarily work friends
0: how do you think of your work in uh in diversity and and like what you're fighting towards and and what that looks like um Mm,
1: how do i think about it
0: yeah yeah uh one like what is kind of a success for you do you do is this like something you'll be doing for the rest of is there like sort of an endpoint? is there like a uh or even like milestones
1: yeah that's a good question. I guess, ultimately, we would be done once we hit gender equality mm-hmm. in the workplace. And this is broader than just tech. Yeah, uh, The problem is obviously more acute in engineering and STEM fields, um, but it is also a problem across yeah. all industries, and especially as you look at leadership roles. Um, McKinsey and company, and the Lean In Foundation yeah. recently just released a report about how there is this leaky pipeline as you move up um, yep. through leadership roles. And that's a pretty serious problem that we're still grappling with. Um, and so I don't think that will be done anytime soon. I think the report was saying at the rate um, that we've made progress over the last like three years, it'll take 100 years before we reach equality mm-hmm. uh, for women in leadership. So hopefully we can get a little bit yeah. You can move a little bit faster than that, but I don't imagine that it'll be done in like the next five to ten years.
0: Yeah, and whenever there are these sorts of things, you, you know, these movements, I imagine they're kind of like internal politics and people that people raise to be sort of heroes or, or leaders, and it seems that in, in tech you've been put, on, I could be incorrect, but put on that pedestal a bit. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of felt natural and organic? or how, you know, Have there been any uncertainties there? How have you dealt with that?
1: Yeah. It's actually been super fascinating to work on this stuff, because I've had to learn so much about how movements happen, yeah. and the politics right. of activism, and I...
0: How do movements happen? <laughs> so. <laughs>
1: um, well, so for the, the women in tech stuff, even just like five years ago, there was only a little bit of discussion about it. Not a ton. Um, yeah. A lot of it was just taken for granted. Uh, when I was in school, I just assumed that this was the way engineering was, just not right. a lot of women. And back then, there was almost no discussion of race at all. We just talked about diversity being gender diversity, and those are always conflated. And a lot of it's just continuous pushing on the discussion so that more people are aware of it, Um, continuously talking about it, just, like, all the different voices in the ecosystem. And I think it's been important to have people who, like, fall all across that spectrum. So there are some people who would be considered, like, the angry, loud voices and... Those people galvanize the rest of the activists. Mm-hmm. And also people who maybe uh who may not have felt that strongly, like when they see like the very strong voices will start to come into it more. Um, the very strong loud voices also help to create space for more moderate voices to come in right. and sound very reasonable, which I think has been where I've been, where Interesting. I'm generally a pretty quiet, uh typical Asian American, mm-hmm. um, mild mannered person and I'm not one of these people that's going to be all over Twitter, yelling yeah. all caps, um, profanity, that sort of thing. But I feel like the people who are louder than I am create some of the space for me yeah. to speak with my voice and my volume.
0: And who's the name? Well, who's louder?
1: I'd say Shanley is one yeah. of these people. Yeah.
0: yeah, but she she seems she doesn't seem to be accepted the way you are.
1: Well, so she, I think she's creating a lot of this space, she's space for me yeah. um, to seem moderate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean some of the things I am saying
0: I find you be, I do find you subversive.
1: Could be construed as yeah. like, yeah, um, yeah, you know, calling we're calling for change and um, unaccepting of the status quo. Yeah. But depending on who you compare me to, it right. can sound very reasonable. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and I think another person who somebody I look up to a lot because of the way she presents her arguments and how she gets people to buy in is Megan Smith. So if you ever mm-hmm. listen to her speech, she's I very quiet. Um, very gentle and CTO of the United States. Yeah, CTO of the United States. She used to be a VP at Google, um, working on Google X, long history of accomplishments before that. And she's very good at talking about diversity issues or just general issues that people should care about Mm -hmm. in a way that makes people feel compelled and feel like there's some urgency around the matter, but not feel defensive or want to push back on what she's saying.
0: Interesting. But I'm I think Megan Smith. I so she's obviously super successful, but I for I like barely know of her. But I know of you. Like, do you have a bigger Twitter following than she does? I don't
1: think so. I think Megan okay. Smith has more. <laughs> <it. Yeah. laughs>
0: okay, well, I guess I wonder. You know, part of it, and I knew I know Shanley, Part of it is like um, a desire to be reasonable, but a desire like reasonable sometimes isn't what's spread. Like sometimes being provocative or. It
1: depends, yeah. So you have to walk that fine line of yeah. being provocative enough that change will happen, mm-hmm. but not so provocative that people just shut down and don't respond at all.
0: Do you ever wake up and be like, I don't want to be the diversity girl today? I just want to, like, read a book and work a picture.
1: There are some times when I feel like it gets repetitive. Like, we're still saying the same thing we were saying years ago. Why has nothing changed? Right. Um, But when I look back over the last one or two years and I can see the change. So, it's in the day-to-day work, it feels a little bit tiring and repetitive. Um, like doing press interviews. It's like, yeah, talk about the same things again. Like, why is diversity important? Why yeah. is there a problem? It's almost like
0: you could have a script or something that you could just yeah. hear.
1: So it can get a little bit repetitive um, because I think there's just so many people that need to hear the message and start to internalize it slowly with like many repeated impressions of that same message. Um, but yeah, when you look back over the last few years, you can start to see how things have shifted. Um, one way I tried to alleviate that boredom of repeating the message is I try to change up the message a little bit every time. Um, or at least like over a one month span, I'll try Mm -hmm. to progress the message a little bit. So a few years ago we were talking about how there's no transparency and we didn't actually know what the baseline was for diversity numbers in our industry. And we just needed to get those numbers out there to know like even where we were. And this year, a year after the initial diversity data reports came out, um, we saw the second, the second annual reports, and we saw that nothing really changed, which was mm-hmm. last year and this year. And so then the conversation started shifting towards, like, so what do we actually need to do to affect change? Like, we know that our situation is bad now. We have the numbers. What do we need to do next? And so now i starting to push more on what are the actions that we can take, and how are we going to make that change? And still drawing a lot from the practices of the software industry and building software. So originally it was like, well, everything is metrics driven. Yeah. And so we should monitor the metrics and understand where we are. And now on actually taking action, there are some um, similarities in terms of like open sourcing. The ideas that we have so different companies can try different tactics and strategies and Um, What Pinterest is trying to do, what we're trying to encourage others to do is to share what we've learned. And so as an industry, we can move forward faster together instead of each person doing their own thing and reinventing the wheel and like relearning all the same lessons.
0: Pinterest, it's interesting because, you know, Pinterest is one of the hottest, you know, most successful companies in San Francisco right now. But it doesn't seem to have the same sort of um, like obsession that some other startups in a similar way. you know, place have among kind of Silicon Valley, you know, pundits or communicators or whatever, is that, is that false? Uh, is, and if if it's true, what, why is that?
1: I think it depends on which circle. Yeah. Um, I think Pinterest early on didn't have as much brand recognition in the Valley because the early users were not Mm -hmm. the Silicon Valley early adopters and very early on. Ben, our CEO, would talk about how he didn't want to do tech press. He only wanted to do press. Mm where We were the only technology company in the whole publication. So we do things with Sunset Magazines or something like that. Uh, But we didn't care as much about doing all the tech interviews. Because early on, it was more about the customer acquisition and building the consumer brand. And a lot of people here in the Valley just didn't know or care. um, And... It's actually pretty funny now when I tell people that I work at Pinterest. There are so many who will say, oh, I passed on Pinterest early on. What a mistake. I just didn't understand what it was. And most of these people are men. Yeah, of course. Um, because they didn't, they didn't see the use case early on. And somewhat intentionally early on at Pinterest, given limited resources, we weren't focusing on trying to build that tech press. Um, in the last few years, we have looked at it more because it is important as we grow to be able to attract good engineering talent, product talent, we need to get good people to work at the company. Um, and we do have a really strong team. And so we're focused on trying to get that message out there. Like, this is actually like, the sorts of problems that our engineering team is working on here are the really interesting um, like product challenges we have, design challenges. So we're starting to market that more now amongst the tech community, but early on, right. we didn't. And so you're probably seeing some of that um, mm-hmm. still trailing through.
0: I'm curious, uh, how do you keep the balance between, because you are a public person... And you're doing, you know, press all the time. What you choose to share, and you know, what's your public life? And what's your private life? For some people, they have no bounds, you know.
1: Yeah, um, I do actually have this split between like what I'll publish um, on Twitter and things that are very public, and things that I actually share to uh, more private networks. Um, so if you look at my Twitter, I I'm sharing things pretty much all day long, but Mm -hmm. there's not that much personal stuff in there. And it's intentional. I want to have some separation. Uh, Some of it is also just being female on the internet. It can be a little bit intimidating. Like I've had stalkers and people who are harassing me. And so I do want to have a little Mm -hmm. bit of that separation. I don't want the people in my life that are important to me to also get pulled into this. Mm -hmm. And so I very rarely mention people that I'm hanging out with. um, Or the people that are very close to me, actually, because I don't want them to get sucked into this. Unless I'm hanging out with people who are also in They're their own drive pretty public yeah. here, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, but when I share things like where I am or what I'm doing, like my Instagram and Swarm are very, very locked down. Like I don't have those published. Because mm. those are the things that are actually a little bit more personal because they track like where I am and what I'm doing. And is that
0: something you've had since the beginning or you had to learn that?
1: Since pretty early on, Uh, because I used to work at Quora, which is, you know, a big sharing platform, like everything is public on there. And I used to write a lot on Quora, and I started to see a little bit of that um, erosion of personal and professional life. And that was relatively early in my career, and I learned very Mm -hmm. quickly that I didn't like that.
0: Yeah, interesting. Um, What's worth saying about Quora? Like, how do you kind of look at it? You've begun a few years... What do you think about when you think about your time at Core? When you think about Core, the product, obviously, you know, Core is. I feel like it gets an unfair rap. It's just it's a pretty big thing, but people, you know, people still value. Some people call it a bust. Um,
1: I think Core was never going to be one of these hyper fast growth companies the way, say, like Instagram was, mm -hmm. because the quality of the content matters so much. Yeah. It had to be much more of a slow growth type of thing. And I think it's somewhere in between, say, like a Wikipedia and a Facebook. But mm-hmm. Wikipedia actually doesn't have very many active editors. I think something like 2,000, 3,000 very active editors, which is very small. Yeah. But they generate so much of the content on their uh, you know, It's a little bit more consumer-oriented, so there are more writers and more people who are curating content. But it's still not in the place where... Every single person has that much to add in the way that, like, every person on Instagram and Facebook has a lot to share This it's just about their personal lives and there's no filter on, like, what is really, like, truly high quality versus yeah. not. At uh, Quora, early on, we talked a lot about, like, good users who are the ones who contribute a lot of, like, really good content. And not everybody is necessarily, like, that great at writing or articulating all their thoughts or they might not have had all the life experiences that are really that, like, interesting. Yeah. And they need to, they would, um, that would do well on a platform like Quora. So it always has had to be slightly slower growth in terms of like people who are contributing content. Um, and I think they've been doing well. Like They are still growing. There is more content being added. They are getting more um, readers. They're doing pretty well with like, SEO and all of that. It's just not going to be one of the totally consumer um, social network type of things yeah. like, like Instagram. Um, I think it's... I still really like Quora, um, and I still check it all the time. It's just really fun to see, to be a little bit more intellectual, to be reading about all these different um, ideas from different people. And it's a little bit more intellectually satisfying than a lot of the other mm-hmm. like, services I would check right. all the time.
0: Yeah. On the on the gender front, Mark and I believe, yesterday tweeted, did you see this, the stats of uh, the, the, the diversity... Uh, percentages at, at their firm? Did you see this?
1: Oh, I don't, I don't think I saw that. I saw the one from the information. Yeah, yeah. a bunch of
0: people are doing that. Yeah. Is that does that make you uh, excited or, or proud? Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm really excited to see the VC industry start to get in on this transparency because the VC industry is even worse than right. the tech industry. And
0: Do you get a little cynical about people just doing it because it's cool or you're saying as long as they're doing it, that's great?
1: I'm glad they're doing it. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, Because the VC industry is what decides who even gets a chance and it's not to say that only men can invest in men, only women can invest in women, but it tends to be somewhat correlated where a lot of male investors don't invest in female founded startups. Um, So having more diversity in the VC pool helps more diverse founder sets to have a chance and right now, it's something like I don't know, somewhere between like five to ten percent of um, investment partners are female, which is pretty yeah. terrible. It's worse than engineering even, which right. is pretty bad. And there's all these kind of lame excuses for why that is, They're like oh, it's a pipeline problem. They're like oh, there's not that many female founders, and a lot of founders become VCs, and that's why there's not. But there's a, a lot of VCs who weren't necessarily founders of successful companies that exited. They yeah. didn't necessarily have technical degrees. They come from all sorts of different backgrounds, and once you widen your candidate pool to people from all these different backgrounds. There should be a lot of women and people of color in those pools. Uh, so the fact that there is no diversity in VC is kind of troubling. Um, and I think it perpetuates the cycle where the investors tend to be non-diverse. They tend to invest in founders that are non-diverse. Those founders that are non-diverse tend to hire early employees that are Mm non-diverse when some of those companies do well and exit and people get payouts from their side of yeah. equity, the people who win are non-diverse. Yeah. And so those are the people that who become investors or become future founders.
0: Does Uber frustrate you? Yes. Tell me more. Wait, what can you say about that?
1: I think the way they have treated some of the concerns that have been raised around misogyny and sexism has been kind of flippant and dismissive and that bothers me Mm -hmm.
0: and is there is there kind of anything one can do about that
1: (laughs) i think these companies once they get large the culture is very difficult to shift but culture shifts from the top down so if executive leadership is bought into diversity and inclusion and fairness and equality then i think that will percolate through the rest of the company and the ecosystem for companies like Uber it actually matters a lot you know the, all the contractors that they're hiring like all their drivers or for like other other on demand services like it's all the people that they're employing and the whole ecosystem like how people are treated depends a lot on the leadership at those companies
0: mm-hmm. and there was one writer who came on this podcast and was talking about diversity in tech she uh, called it kind of a C-suite feminism Issue, I think, in the way and and Lean In and Cheryl Sandberg's book, in general, uh, the critique she gave was something like that. It only applies to a certain percentage of women that could even have the privilege to be in that place in, in the first place. And you know, more commonly is the poor, you know, uh, woman who doesn't is not even considered in this equation at all. Um, you know, let's say the. Poor black woman in Detroit, where I came from before this, or you know, the poor woman in a country where they, where rights towards women are really, mm-hmm. you know, not not good. What's your response to that?
1: I think a lot of the feminism that I'm seeing now, these discussions we're having now, are much more inclusive than that. We're talking about how do we build pathways for people from. Underprivileged backgrounds, even mm. so get into tech, which is an yeah. industry that is doing really well. Like, how do we get more people to be included in the tech economy? So, I don't think it's just about how do we advance people up. Right. It's like how do we even get people in? How do we reduce these artificial barriers that we've set up? Um, a lot of them are just due to cognitive bias, like the yeah. you know, tendency for people to want to work with people that look like them, yeah. or remind them of themselves. So, how do we break down these biases? And so, I think it is much broader than just like the C-suite feminism.
0: And, uh, you earlier, you know, you're obviously, you're, you're an Asian American. Mm-hmm. Did you read the piece by Wesley Yang, Asian Like Me?
1: I think so.
0: How does that, um, you know, we talked about you just being a woman in tech. Are there very visible, uh, Asian women in tech? Um, or is that kind That's of a, role? a good
1: question? There are some Asian women, um, Race, part of it comes in a little bit. Um, being Asian is an interesting one in tech because there are so many Asians yeah. in tech that we're not a minority. That doesn't mean that we have all the privileges of being white. So if you look at executive leadership, yeah. it still tends to be more white than Asian. And there are a lot of stereotypes around Asians, like good at math and science and good at being code monkeys and good yeah. at doing what is told to. Um, what, no, what yeah. you're told to do. Um, But not as much like leadership and creativity. These are stereotypes Mm -hmm. um, that hold Asians back in in some domains. And it's a tricky one to navigate. I mean, this is true for everything that's intersectional. Um, And so in some ways it's easy for me because I fit the stereotype of Asians. Like I'm relatively quiet and... um,
0: You you seem to be pretty subversive, or that you don't uh, like. You're not demure to authority or something. Like you speak your mind.
1: Sometimes, on the face of it, I I fit the um, stereotypes quite well, and so that doesn't challenge people's stereotypes nearly as much as um, people with different personalities might. Um, But it's interesting to be not white as well, because white is basically. What has run everything yeah. in the United States forever? Yeah. Um, and now that there's a lot of conversations around getting more people of color into yeah. tech, um, people of color as a term includes Asians in other industries, but in tech it doesn't. Interesting, right? And so we talk about um, like the entertainment industry. People of color definitely only includes Asian yeah. people. It's like, oh, we have like no Asian people on, on the on the screen. Uh, but in tech, when we talk about people of color, it only applies to Black and Latino just an interesting yeah. one. Like we are suddenly not counted as a minority group because we've done well at least in the entry levels. Like there's a lot of engineers that are um that are Asian. And so it's it's weird for me as an Asian to think about like how do I align myself on these like racial lines? Am I um trying to like how do I get Asian other Asian people to be advocates for racial equality? Mm-hmm. When a lot of Asians are like, oh we're doing fine. Yeah it's like, not a problem.
0: Um, but that, that whole piece, uh, that Asian like me, is talk, what he calls the bamboo ceiling, which is uh, you know Asians get into college at amazing, you yeah. know, amazing rates, but uh, at the CEO level, CEO level, especially uh, correlated to how you know how much of them are in Ivy League schools. It's way less, right. um, and uh, he, he credits a combination of um, the skills that got them to be so good at school aren't the skills that you know, you need to negotiate, you know, or kind of play politics or.
1: Right, and I think some of it is also just like for Asian people who have done relatively well and don't want to challenge the structures that in place, like, well we've done relatively yeah. well as a minority, so we're not going to challenge basically the white supremacy that's yeah. there. I think what needs to happen is Asians also need to see that as a group, the way we've been held off as a model minority in, in some categories that like we've done well in yeah. school um, doesn't mean that everything is okay and we need to figure out like how do we ally ourselves with other racial minorities in breaking down right. all the racial inequalities
0: and i guess i'm curious like you know 10 years ago could you have predicted you would be doing, you know fighting for this
1: no not at all
0: were you kind of just going along with the motions
1: yeah. Uh, really? So when I was growing up, I was also just a very, very quiet child. So every single parent-teacher conference, my teacher would tell <laughs> my mom that I seemed to be very smart and did well and, <laughs> on tests, but I never spoke during class. I was like the quietest. I had problem. the opposite <laughs> problem. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was super, super quiet. Never wanted to say anything. I was like, there's no need for me to say anything. Like the teacher knows the answer. Why are they yeah. asking the, the class? Like I don't need to say it. The right. teacher knows what it is and they'll know that I know what it is when I take the test. Uh, so... <laughs> there's I, I had no compulsion to ever say anything um, I started to just be a little bit more comfortable with speaking when I was in high school as I did speech and debate but still not a natural thing for me to be vocal i much prefer to be quiet and on the like, women's rights and like women in tech and all that general space of things um, I never thought about it and I accepted things for what they were. So my mom was an engineer. She was a software engineer. And when she was studying um, in undergrad, there were four women out of her class of 200. And so she would tell me these stories. Like, oh, that's just like the way it is. And, like, things seem slightly better than that, but that's just like the way things are. There's this imbalance. And so I never thought that we could challenge that. Um, so maybe this is also going back to some of the, the Asian mentality. It's like, these are some things that you just accept. And right. then you work within the rules.
0: But when did you stop accepting that?
1: I started to uh, care a lot more about these issues once I started working and seeing how industry was even worse than academia and started to be a lot more frustrated and then that turned into this impetus towards action.
0: You you strike me as someone who has like a real quiet fire. In them <laughs> or uh but it's, it really burns brightly uh and like frustration that turns into action have you always had that kind of fire in you just waiting to be um or, or that you express in other ways you know in high school or college
1: i think i've always been willing to work pretty hard I, yeah. at least study very hard it's a very good yeah. asian american right so but did you feel like uh, you had a chip Americans.
0: on your shoulder or something to prove
1: not necessarily. I think there's just some of that is the immigrant mentality. It's like we have to yeah. work really hard. It's like we don't actually belong here. Or we're very lucky to even have the opportunity to be here. And so it's just something that I should do like to work hard. Yeah. Um, not necessarily that I need to prove something, but just to survive, I need to work really hard.
0: But you didn't have a sense of injustice in high school or college?
1: Not really. I was super privileged and spoiled. And, yeah didn't have to see any of that injustice
0: and are are your parents pretty i don't say calm but like uh do they share your you know passion for this are they how how do you
1: i think they're proud of my work on it um but they were the first generation immigrants and so for them i think so much more of their lives was just we're in this new country let's be it was like work hard and try to build our lives here and be successful, there's not as much time and energy to think about how do we affect widespread yes. social change.
0: What would the version of you two years ago think of the version, you know, who you are today? Um,
1: I'm relatively impressed <laughs> by the way things have gone. Relatively impressed, I like that.
0: It's like a qualifier. <laughs> yeah. Um, and proud, no? Yeah,
1: I think for... Helping to affect some change in the industry, we haven't seen that much movement in the numbers yet in the tech industry. But there's so much more discussion of what's what's going on, and there's starting to be pieces put into play. And it's really cool to even see like the White House working on initiatives around increasing yeah. diversity um, and trying to get more inclusion in the tech industry. So they have this program they launched called Tech Hire. Mm-hmm. They're looking at how do you train people. In all these different cities, so we're not just looking at Silicon Valley anymore. We're right. looking at, like, all across the United States. Like, How do we train people to be a part of this knowledge economy? And it's really cool to see that sort of initiative being rolled out at the national level like by the White House. And I think it's all related. Like, We're starting to see that the tech industry can be much more inclusive. And we just need to figure out how to get there.
0: If the White House tapped yeah. you for some sort of project, did you ever want to work for them?
1: Yeah, so I actually did work for the White House earlier this year. I was working with the U.S. Digital Service. Um, I did a two-week sprint with them. And so the U.S. Digital Service, if you're not familiar with it, was created last August. Um Kind of out of the, the wake of the healthcare.gov yeah. <laughs> disaster recovery efforts. And uh, Mikey Dickerson, who is the head of the healthcare.gov recovery efforts, is now leading up the U.S. Digital Service. And it's located within the White House and the Office of Management and Budget. Um, so their headquarters right now, I think, is about 40 people. But they also have... Um, approval and budget from Congress to be placing digital service teams in each of the top 24 or so federal civilian agencies. So they're starting to help all these different agencies build out good tech teams who can work on the delivery of digital services. And so much of what happens in our world today is digital. Um, The fact that the government was kind of stuck in old technologies and not at all modernized was problematic for them even being able to affect the policies that they had in place. And so I was there with the Small Business Administration just looking at the tech products that they had and making recommendations for them, um, what they needed to do structurally, so what sorts of teams they needed to put in place, what sorts of roles they needed to hire for, so um, getting kind of the tech lead, senior engineer roles who can help manage contractors, product managers, designers. Like these are not functions that are filled right now in these agencies. Um, so recommendations are like get these type of people, and here are some like modern best practices around software development and hosting, um, like open source, cloud, all these things that the private sector has been doing for the last couple of decades right. now. Um starting to draw those into government. So I was there for a couple of weeks, um, still try to stay involved when I can. Um, I love the USDS people, so whenever they're in town, yeah. i love to see them and um, figure out how I can help out.
0: Was it frustrating, though, the, the, the way they move or the way that it works?
1: It is a, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> um,
0: is it disillusioning? Of
1: <laughs> I think none of it was necessarily that surprising. Like All these agencies have a lot of people and it's not like the agency doesn't want change to happen. There's a, there's a lot of people entirely and every person has a different yeah agendas and incentives and so figuring all of that out is like this interesting political game which is not yeah. new to me either because the private sector is the same there's people with different incentives um and different agendas and you have to figure out how to navigate all of those yeah.
0: when you're when you get really frustrated about something how do you calm down and because you're also you become you're immensely reasonable <laughs> how do you how do you do that
1: sometimes i have to allow myself a little space yeah. to rage and sometimes that happens in some form on Twitter or amongst <laughs> friends um, but then I just need to pull back and think yeah. like is this productive and what do I need to do to channel this frustration into something yeah. that's actionable
0: when you think of the term success who comes to mind
1: I know we talked about her already but I think Megan then Smith is <laughs> one of these people that I just admire so much because she has helped to drive so much change, and she's really working. And she and all the other U.S. and all the other people in government, the U.S. Digital Service and ATF. um, these people are really trying to do something good. And I think it's really important that the people who do have some success and privilege are helping to yeah. break down the inequality that exists in society and help more people to be pulled up.
0: How do you think about the arc of your career? I guess going forward, you, know, you spent a few years at Quora, you spent a few years at Pinterest. Uh, the world is literally your oyster. Uh, you're, a Pinterest, you're still at Pinterest now, uh, but then you also have a lot of time. How do you, you, know, how do you think about the future? Do you think about there are certain things you want to get done? In what context do you think about your future?
1: I think the main framework I've been using is how do I achieve social impact? Actually, being at Pinterest has been really great because it's a great platform to advocate for diversity in tech because we are a tech company. I'm inside of a tech company that actually cares and is willing to experiment. Uh, so we're working with Paradigm, which is a diversity consulting firm, and we're running inclusion labs with them. We try different things and see which things work and which things don't. And it's nice to have this test bed, which is the, the company yeah. that I'm working in. And people are on board with all of this. So we can try things out. Some things are going to fail. Hopefully some things are successful and then we can share those. Um, As an example for the rest of the industry, we can also try to push forward on things like transparency and action and commitment uh, to goals. So it's really cool that I have this lever for achieving impact. Um, Going forward, I'm still thinking about what are the different ways in which I can have social impact. Um, It may be broader than just diversity in tech, but more far-reaching issues around gender or race or class, which are interesting to me. I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like and how I can use the skills that I've built up in the tech industry to address those. Because not every problem can be addressed with a tech solution. I think some of them can be because tech is so pervasive and just some of the qualities of software that it's so easy to replicate and distribute. Everybody has a phone now, and so... There's this infrastructure for communication. I think there's something there that we can do uh, with tech to address some of the big social problems that we have, but I haven't quite figured out what that looks like.
0: So what do you want your Wikipedia page to say when it's all said and done?
1: Um, That's a great question. Something about fighting and disrupting social injustice.
0: And how about... The people who are closest to you. Uh, the to this question is like. What do you want people to say at your funeral?
1: Hmm. That I was a good person that cared about making the world a better place.
0: Are you, are you religious? I am not. Where from? Where do you sense your um, understanding of what justice is, or what a good person is, or?
1: So even though I'm not religious, I actually um, went to a Catholic high school and had some of the more academic study of like yeah. what social justice is, like um, what morality is. And there are some themes from there, not necessarily from the Catholic tradition, but just across a lot of different religions. There's like ways in which you should comport yourself and um, ways in which the world should function. Yeah. Um, one of the tests for social justice—I I forget which this is, which book this is from—is uh, if you were to imagine a world, you can design this world in, in any way you want um, with, with all like the social, economic structures. Design this world so that you would be happy no matter which position into it you were born.
0: Interesting, yeah, John Rawls.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, right, that's right.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I feel like I won the. To so the birth brother. lottery yeah. in this current life because I was born into America to middle-class parents who cared a lot about education and worked in the knowledge economy and were able to mm-hmm. give me a really good path. But I got really lucky yeah. and the world as it is now is not what I would design if I could be born into yeah. like any family anywhere in the world.
0: We're so lucky.
1: We're so <laughs> yeah. lucky. Um, and I didn't even realize all of this until more recently when I was doing more diversity advocacy stuff and started to see the overlap with um, like gender and race issues, or race issues in particular, when you see yeah. the institutional disenfranchisement of black Americans, yeah. it's just absolutely appalling. And but even when you like study these things in, in school, like American history is written by yeah. you know white people pretty much. Yep. And so uh, we talk about the civil war and, in ways that hide the fact that it was really largely about slavery and keeping black people enslaved. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing all these things and digging deeper into these issues in the last couple of years has made me feel much more, yeah. I really need to address this and I need to take all the advantages and privileges that I've been given to bear against yeah. that.
0: And it's crazy that you know, we're in San Francisco and we took people, we and people talk about building products that are changing millions of people's lives and a lot of them do. Uh, but you know, right outside there are like dozens of homeless people, you know, hundred. You know, yeah, way I was just at Starbucks yeah.
1: this morning trying to do a little bit of work before coming here, and there was a homeless woman that was sitting right in front of me, and she was very clearly mentally ill, wow. and she was to trying to ask me questions continuously. Was asking a lot of very nonsensical things. And it was it was just a couple blocks away yeah. from here, and then uh, as I was walking over, there were a bunch of homeless people that accosted me, asking for change to take the bus or to buy some coffee. Yeah, we're, we're really juxtaposed right next to right. a lot of um a lot of issues
0: and as innovative as we all are or many of us are it um it doesn't seem like we've really figured out
1: something no not at all and i think a lot of what happens in the tech industry is people try to solve the problems that they themselves have so they'll build yeah. apps and web websites and whatever services to help themselves
0: to get them updates. Like, dates
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. like <laughs> and laundry on demand yeah, yeah. that's like, funny <laughs> um, drones to take selfies, yeah. whatever these things are. Very um, important. <laughs> I think Paul Graham talks about it, it's Like, if you're going to start a company, like, pick a problem that you yourself experience. Right. You can solve it. Um, you can figure out like if the solution you're yeah. building actually works. So you can ask yourself like, this mm-hmm. does this work for me? But when the people who are building all these products are not diverse and come from a very particular subsection of society, then the solutions that are built are also very specific. Mm-hmm. And it's great. Like I benefit from all these things. Like, I can yeah. get my laundry done yeah. on demand. Mm-hmm. I can get food delivered to yep. me if I don't feel like going out. Um, there's, I can get like car service anytime yeah. I, I want, if I don't want to take public transit, like all these things are really nice, but they are a lot of solutions that are built for right. know, a very particular slice of society.
0: Mm-hmm. When you talk to young people or young women who are looking to get into uh, tech, but are, scared for whatever reason, maybe because of the stereotypes or just because, you know, coding is not easy, <laughs> you know. Uh, how do you, wh- what most common advice do you do you find yourself giving?
1: I think the, m- the main thing is to remember what software is capable of and to be a part of building. Software is a part of building the way that people are going to interact with the world yeah. in the future. And it's Pretty cool to be a part yeah. of that. Um, there are things that you want to have happen, you can make those things happen. Mm-hmm. And that's not to deny that there may be things that aren't that pleasant along the way. Maybe it's interactions with coworkers or other people in industry, or maybe the job can just be boring, or like you have to be on call and deal with the servers being down. Like there might be things that are not that fun, but every job, every industry will have things that are not that fun. But ultimately, software is really cool because of what it enables. And so to keep that. And goal in mind is pretty important.
0: Yeah. It's one of the closest things to like a human superpower.
1: Yeah, for <laughs> sure. It's kind of amazing yeah. what has been built even over the last yeah. like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, the iPhone only came out in 2007.
0: Right. Yeah. And all the things that are yet to come.
1: And um, now you can have a car come pick <laughs> you up with the yeah. tap of a button on this smartphone that you have.
0: Mm-hmm. And pizza. Yeah, (laughs) the pizza, which is groundbreaking. Um, Cool. Well, thank you for for chatting with me. Um, Do you have a a last ask of? uh, Well, first, you know, where can the the audience find you online? Uh, And two, or any plugs, things you have coming. And two, uh, do you have any ask of you know the audience, builders and makers and thinkers who are are listening to this and want to contribute and be a positive force in the diversity movement?
1: Yeah. So the first question where you can find me online, I'm always on Twitter. Uh, (laughs) my handle is a very difficult one, but you can Google Tracy Chow Twitter and you should be able to find it. Mm. And for everybody who's thinking about how to make the world a better place, just, um, to be educated on issues and to be curious and always trying to find other people's stories to build that empathy is what I would recommend. Just, um, like to step outside of your own world as much as you can that might be from like reading books or just talking to people on the street or trying to read those stories that are out there um, and think about how you can help yeah those people
0: yeah um and kudos to to you and all the work you do and also kudos to the uh to the extreme people who make you uh, make you reasonable
1: (laughs) yes for sure
0: um cool thanks for joining
1: thank you for having me